I invite you to take those out and grab a pen too. There are going to be some notes that I, I uh, suggest you take this morning. I, I encourage you to do that every Sunday, but uh, this Sunday probably more so. These are some practical things that I want to share with you today. As Dana mentioned, we're in a, uh, a sermon series called Say Yes. And uh, we've been talking about obedience. Last week I mentioned that obedience isn't a real popular word. Uh, because it requires us to uh, respond favorably to an authority. And that authority, in, in, in our case, being God our Father. And what is our response? Hopefully, your response and my response is yes when the Lord leads us and nudges us and provides direction in our life. I got thinking about this this week, and uh, you know, Paul talks about us conforming to the image of the Father. In Corinthians, he talks about our lives and our wills being bent to His. I got thinking about um, a piece of tinfoil, and there's actually a, a type of art that people do with tin, and they, they put it over a relief, and they, they bang the tin, and you notice that anything that tinfoil kind of gets, gets molded to, it takes on that image. And that's the, the image that I got as I was reading what Paul was stating about our wills and our lives being conformed to God's will and His image. We become more and more like Him. In Romans, Paul says, do not conform to the ways of this world, the patterns of this world. Don't conform or be molded into those things that are of the world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And today we're going to kind of look at that next part of Romans where, where he's talking about, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. We're going to talk about that. How do we make decisions? How, how does this, our lives being formed and conformed more in, into His image, how does that affect our day-to-day -day lives and how we live out? How do we choose? How do you choose? How do you make choices? In a world of limitless choices, how do you choose? Today, I want us to specifically talk about pleasure. How do we make choices in regards to pleasure? There's a, a favorite author of mine. He's a theologian and a, and a Christian apologist, and his name is Ravi Zacharias. And, um, he was... Uh, uh, speaking at a convention one time, he was staying at a big hotel, and he was, he was uh, taking the elevator from one of the upper floors down to the convention center level, and uh, someone got on the, on the elevator that wasn't a part of the conference, and they got talking, and, and uh, this gentleman asked uh, uh, Dr. Zacharias, uh, hey, what do you do for a living? He says, well, I'm a pastor, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a theologian, and uh, um, I'm speaking at this conference here. And the guy says, well, what are you speaking on? And, and uh, Ravi Zacharias said, I, I'm speaking on the problem of pleasure. And the guy looked at him and says, I didn't know we had a problem with pleasure. <laughs> to which Ravi said, and that's why I'm talking about it. That seems to be a sentiment in our world today. Is there really a problem with pleasure? And if so, what is it? That's what I want us to look at. As a pastor, I'm often asked the question, how do I decide? What are the boundaries? What are the guidelines? What are the parameters 
for choosing and making those decisions. Sadly, even though those questions get asked frequently, I don't think those questions get asked frequently enough. As a side note, and uh, I want to thank Leanne for drawing this to our attention this morning, God is a fun God. God is not a, a cosmic killjoy. When you surrendered your life to God, He didn't say, okay, enough fun, wipe that smile off your face and don't ever do that again. If anything, God is a God of, of joy. Even David in, in Psalm 16 says, in His presence there is fullness of joy. At His right hand there are pleasures evermore. So God is not saying, hey, time out, no pleasure here, but at the same time, there are some principles that we need to look at today. Where's the line? We have to ask that question. Over in 1 Corinthians, if you want to turn to chapter 6, and we're going to get to chapter 10 in a second, Paul says this, you say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. Over in 1 Corinthians, again, he, he repeats that and he says, you say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. The exact same thing in, verse t in chapter 10 that it said in, in chapter 6. Go to the next. It says, don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. And then verse 31 says, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. He says, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. And you, you end that whole section, and you go, okay, thanks, Paul. You uh, really helped me out there, I think. Uh, if anything, our head gets swirling. Okay, well, if everything is, if everything is permissible, but not, uh, not everything is beneficial, then how do we decide, how do we land the plane when it comes to pleasures and joy and making decisions on those things? Well, I think there's a, a great example that we can look at in the life of Solomon. If you turn over to the book of Ecclesiastes, we're going to land at chapter 2. The book of Ecclesiastes is, is basically the, the memoirs of the greatest and wisest king who ever lived in Israel's time. The wisest man, I'd say, who ever lived in history. And this is what Solomon says about choices, and particularly about the pleasure that he was running after. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. It says, I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. I also owned large herds of flock, herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. 
I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything, he says, a man could desire. So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. That's an interesting statement there. Even amidst all of this, this, uh, all these decisions and all these pursuits, he claims my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, he says, I would, ta- I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. Now, some of you would go, what is he saying? Why? But at the same time, he found great pleasure in what he was doing. Verse 11, but as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like a chasing of the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Here he concludes the section. He says, a chasing after the wind. And the picture you get in your mind is, is almost like a sailor out on the, on the high seas without a chart or a compass. Completely lost, bewildered, and there's no uh, bearing, no place. And it seems to be what our world is like today. You take away the reference point of morality. You take away the grid of right and wrong, God's rule and reign, and you end up with a people and a society that is lost. And I believe, sadly, that this is also a, a picture of a good part of Christianity and Christians in general today. It's true. We swing from one extreme to the other. We allow without knowing why we allow, and we ban uh, things that we, we don't know why we're banning. Christian history is full of these extreme convictions, almost like a pendulum swinging from one side of permissiveness to the other side of restraint. Asceticism all the way to indulgence. Self-denying prohibitive abstinence all the way to hedonistic pleasure-seeking sensualism. And everything in between. We're trying to tell the time, but yet we've thrown away the watch. You see, we question absolute truth. Even in the church today, we question absolute truth and we ignore the ultimate source and direction for our lives. Today, I want us to look at three principles. You see, I believe this is a very dangerous place for us to be. In a... In a society, and even a church culture of moral relativism. It's a very, very dangerous place. I want us to start with principle number one, and that's in Judges chapter 7. In Judges 7, there's a story of Gideon who has 32,000 fighting men, and he's going up against the Midianites at a place called Morah. And, and the Lord comes up to uh, uh, Gideon and says, you know what? Hey, I love your army. Your army's looking really good, but 32,000 is way too many men. And Gideon's going, say again? He says, no, I want you to cut that down. And so he cuts it down to 10,000 and God still approaches him and says, you got too many. And Gideon's like, is there anyone else up there I can talk to? I I was pretty good with 32,000 going up against the Midianites, but you say 10,000 is still too many? And the Lord says, yes. And so what does he do? He has a little bit of a, uh, a test. 
and he takes them down to the river. And there are those men, he, they, they all, they're thirsty and they go to have a drink. And there are men in the army who, who use their hands to cup the water. And they, it says in Scripture, they, they lap the water up out of their hands like a dog would. There were a number of men who did that, a number of men who got down on their all, all their fours at the edge of the river and they just stuck their face in, right in, and they just drank their heart's content. Look at verse 6 of chapter 7. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. And the Lord says, those 300 with their eyes still ahead, looking at the enemy who cupped and drank like a dog. Those are the 300 you will take into battle. The principle here is this, and I want you to write these notes down in your bulletin. Anything that refreshes you without distracting you from diminishing or destroying your final goal is a legitimate pleasure. Anything that refreshes you without distracting you from diminishing or destroying your final goal is a legitimate pleasure. Most important question of life is what is your goal? Where are you headed towards? You see these fighting men kept their eyes on the goal. They kept their eyes on where they were going. You see, if you don't know, you'll never know what's distracting you. If you don't know where you're headed, you'll never know if you're going in the wrong direction. That's why it's so important we land on the grid that God has set us up with. You see, it's a problem in our nation. It's a problem in our world. And sadly, even for those who claim Christ as Lord, and that's why it is so urgent for us to talk about these things. If you don't set your direction, someone else will. Someone else will decide for you if you don't. I remember I was in 10th grade. I grew up in the church and, and I was just clipping along in life and really unknown to me, I was making some bad decisions. Even though I was hanging out with my Christian friends, we were making decisions that weren't God's decisions. We were pursuing things that weren't God's pursuits. It wasn't necessarily a decision I had made, but it, it was a decision I hadn't made, but others were making for me. And it wasn't until my brother came up to me one day, in fact, he wrote me a letter and his words went something to the ends like this, Darren, God's got so much more for your life than what you're living out right now. And in that letter, it was a refocusing and a recalibrating my eyes and my heart and my soul into what God had for my life. And as soon as that happened, it became crystal clear that I was off course. It became crystal clear to me that my bearing was the wrong bearing and I needed to make a course correction. You see, it's easy for us to get distracted. It's easy for that goal to become diminished it's easy for that goal to be destroyed when we pursue things and make choices that are not of God. Second principle, turn over to 2 Samuel 23. And here in 2 Samuel, we have a story of David. He is hidden in a cave at, at Adullam. And he's surrounded by the Philistine, Philistine army. They are down in the valley. And, and he's in this... Uh, fortified uh, 
a place of comfort and rest and respite for a little while, even though he's surrounded. And it says that he's there with a number of his fighting men, and the ones closest to him in that cave, there are three of his elite forces men there with him. And as David is catching his breath in this cave and from the, from the fight and from running for his life from the Philistines, he, he starts to think of his, his home back in Bethlehem. And even as he's thinking about that, he's, he's thinking about the sadness of his home being occupied by the Philistines. They are, they've set up camp not just in the valley around him, but in his hometown of Bethlehem. David's running for his life and his enemies are dwelling in his hometown. And as he's in this cave, he starts reminiscing and dreaming back to a time when he was at home. And, and he got dreaming of the time when he could go to his own personal well and drink that cool, crisp, delicious water from his own well. I tell you, you know I'm from Western Canada, from Vancouver, and I tell you, you can go anywhere in the world and there isn't a glass of water from the faucet that is as refreshing as water out of the tap, out of the faucet in Vancouver. Even in the middle of summer, I, you know, when I got reading this, I'm like, oh, David, you don't know, West Coast, mountain spring runoff. Uh, in the middle of summer, in this very you know, city of two million, you can turn on the faucet and it is ice cold mountain spring water. It's delicious. Here's David in this cave and he's dreaming, if only I had a glass of water or a cup of water from my home well. And you know what? These three mighty men, these three elite force men, they hear this and they go, oh, there would be a great gift. And they conspire and they get together and they go off and they get through enemy lines and, and they not only go through the Philistines out in the valley, but they go right into David's hometown that's occupied by the Philistines. They get behind enemy lines and they get a cup of this water from David's well and they bring it back to him in that cave. And you'd think there would be just incredible rejoicing, angels all around, right? And David's eyes light up as soon as he sees this, this gift of water that He's been given by these three amazingly brave men. And yet look at verse 15 of 2 Samuel 23. It says, David longed for water and said, Oh, that someone would get me a drink of water of well near the gate of Bethlehem. And they did this. But then what happens when he's given this cup? He says, I can't. I can't. And he in fact, dumps it out. And he says, you know what? You know what? I have no right to enjoy this pleasure because I put others at risk. I have no right to enjoy this because others' lives were put at risk for my enjoyment. One commentator says, if only David would have reacted this way and thought through this with Bathsheba, we would have had a different history in Scripture. The second principle is this, any pleasure, write this down, any pleasure that jeopardizes the sacred right of another is an illicit pleasure. Any pleasure that jeopardizes the sacred right of another is an illicit pleasure. Our world is so me-focused 
I'd even say the, the Christian community at times is very me-focused. My rights, my comfort, my career, my job, my happiness here in church, my style of worship, my sermon, my morality, my discipleship, my needs. And that tends to be the litmus test for what is chosen and what isn't, what we do and what we don't within our own needs. This filter of our own desires, our own wants, and our own needs. It's an egocentric world. It's an egocentric society. It's led us down the road to where we are today. And you carry that down to an extreme and you have a place where we're at today with an abortion issue. It's all about me. It's all about my rights. It's all about my wants, my desires, my fulfillment, my career, my choices, my body. Any pleasure that jeopardizes the sacred right of another is an illicit pleasure. Third principle. Turn over to Proverbs 25, 16. It's kind of a quirky little verse in the middle of Proverbs, but I think it says something that we need to focus on today. Proverbs 25, 16 says this, If you find honey, eat just enough, too much of it, and you will vomit. Um, Mother's Day a few weeks back, um, Dana, Gabe, and I were down in Austin, and we went to a wonderful restaurant out at Lake Travis and had a, a buffet. And we'd skipped breakfast that morning because this was going to be a buffet lunch, kind of a brunch sort of thing. And we come walking into this restaurant, you can just smell the delicious buffet. It was absolutely phenomenal. Everything and anything and, you know, seafood and, and uh, um, uh, beef and pork and it just every. It was, oh, it was just, even thinking of it now, I'm salivating. It was wonderful. And, and so we sat down, we had a beautiful view of Lake Travis and, and we went and we got plate after plate after plate and it just, and then the desserts, oh, oh amazing, just, uh, just delicious and exquisite and, and just so rich. And we ate and it was amazing. And we sat there even after we'd eaten and we sat there and just enjoyed each other's company. And we looked out at the, at the, at the lake. And, and you know what was interesting is we got up to leave. We had to kind of pass by the room that had had the food and the buffet because they were still serving. It was kind of in those multiple seatings and that. And as we were leaving, I turned to Dan and I said, you know, that smelled so wonderful on the way in. Not so much now. <laughs> and it was, it was true. As wonderful as that smelled, as awesome as it smelled, just delicious on the way out, it was kind of off-putting. Too much of a good thing is off-putting. Uh, Dan and I, uh, we came across this word years ago, it was cloying. Do you know what cloying means? Cloying is something that is too much of a good thing, particularly as it relates to perfume. If you have a teenager in your house, you've probably experienced this. You know, hey, one squirt is good. Okay, 16, no, 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 no. If you've ever been, you know, walking through Walmart and, you know, there's, uh, I was going to kind of do a stereotype, but I won't even go there. But, you know, you get behind somebody in line and, and, and they've just put on way too much cologne or way too much cheap perfume. <laughs> it's like, whoa, okay, it's really off-putting. And that's what cloying is. This is what the writer to the Proverbs is talking about here. 
Here's the principle. Any pleasure, write this down, any pleasure, however good, if not kept in balance, will distort reality or destroy appetite. Any pleasure, however good, if not kept in balance, will distort reality or destroy appetite. I love to golf. I love to get on the links. I love to golf. I love to run. I also like to hold Dana's hand. But let me tell you, I have to stop doing one of those or two of those to do another one. Um, Dan and I were go golfing on, on Friday, and as much as I like holding her hand, I had to let go of her hand to swing the club. Could you imagine? Come over here, dear. You know, that would have been kind of awkward. I love to run. Come on, can you run faster? At the same time, if I'm holding her hand, it's not like I'm going to go for a run or not going to swing a club. You see where I'm getting at. Solomon says this. He says, there's a time for everything. Time to begin, a time to end. A time to work, a time to play, a time to speak, a time to be silent, a time to plant, a time to reap. There's a season for everything under heaven. Gives these times and these seasons, these limits and things, this this ebb and flow. You see, we get obsessed and preoccupied, almost indulgent with things. And when we do, it distorts reality. It destroys appetite. Solomon referred even to the, the work that we do. We enjoy work sometimes to a fault. Point where we neglect families, we neglect friends, we neglect our health. See, there's a rhythm to life and these timings, even to making choices. There's a pastor out in Hawaii, his name's Wayne Cordero, he talks about tanks and what fills your tanks and what empties your tanks, spiritually, emotionally, physically. We get to a point where we get so drained and we think the only way to fill our tank back up is to work harder and crimp off the things that fill our tanks, those things that bring us relief and pleasure and and enjoyment and rest. How do I get right in my relationship with God, I just have to work more. No, sometimes we just need to press pause and experience a Sabbath. You see, too much of anything will distort reality, destroy appetite. I want you to think of where you're at in your life with the choices you make. What's your frame of reference? What's your grid? How do you know if you're off course? What's your goal? What's your magnetic north? What is your compass reading? Obviously, in light of God's plan for your life, that's a grid, that's a plan, that's a purpose. Like I said in the beginning, I think oftentimes we swing like a pendulum from one extreme to another, really not knowing which way is up, which way is down, what's right, what's wrong. There's much, much more that we can say on this. There's much more as far as nuances. And well, Darren, you didn't land the plane on whether this is right or wrong, whether this is sinful or not. You're right, I didn't. You might call it a cop-out, but I think these principles for each and every one of us supersede all of those things. You see, just like Paul says, everything's permissible, not, a, not everything is beneficial. For some, thing, for some people, some things aren't an issue. For other people, other things aren't an issue. Don't get me wrong, there are things that are specifically not of God and there are things that are specifically sinful. 
But when it comes to each and every one of us, there are God-given principles throughout Scripture that we need to apply to our lives. We need to constantly be seeking His plan, His will, His purpose, what He has to say for each of us in our lives. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Worship team, why don't you come up and join me? And just in this quietness, in this spot, I want you to think through your decision-making, your choices, the way you choose in a world full of choices. And have you just been going through life on autopilot, really not knowing what your true north bearing is, what your goal and what your framework, what your reference, what your grid is? And if so, I encourage you just to turn that over to the Lord. Just with a repentant heart, say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I haven't paid attention to this. I'm sorry I've just kind of gone through life and allowed other people to make decisions for me. Not really hearing from you. And just hear what he has to say. Child, you're mine. I love you. In my presence, there is fullness of joy. At my right hand, there are pleasures evermore. I got, I got your back. Turning to me and turning your life over to me is not giving up joy. It's not giving up pleasure. It's not giving up happiness. In fact, just the opposite. It's embracing it. with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to read a few things to you. Pleasure for pleasure's sake will leave you empty. See, it's the law of diminishing returns. It's a life with no reference and no direction. Pleasure isn't bad. In fact, it's something that is truly a blessing and a gift from God. It's important to know that all pleasure comes at a cost. It's either something you invest in before or you pay for later. It's important for you to know that good pleasure leads each of us toward the heart of God. False pleasure leads us away from Him. Leads us away from the heart of God. And finally, it's worth stating that the greatest pleasure of all is being in His presence. Experiencing His beauty and His sweetness in worship. You think back to the garden. The sweetness of walking with the Lord. Something that each and every one of us should crave. Something that each and every one of us needs to pursue above everything else.